0: Open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians Corinthians is before 2 Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter two. Today, I want to talk to you on the topic. If you're taking notes today, and I highly suggest that you do. uh, I want to talk to you on the topic, the cure for confusion. The cure for confusion. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them, listen, you don't need to be confused. (laughs) Tell your neighbor, God wants you to walk in clarity. Today, I want to talk to you on the topic, the cure for confusion, because the problem in the body of Christ today is that so many believers are walking in confusion. So many of us are walking around in confusion. We don't know what we're supposed to do. We don't know who we are. We don't know what we're called to do. And we find ourselves continually living in confusion and trying to make sense of the confused state that we're in. What does confusion mean? I looked it up. Let me tell you, Miriam Webster. <laughs> confusion, it has multiple meanings. Confusion means one, to be perplexed or bewildered. Some of you are wondering what does perplexed mean? <laughs> to be perplexed or bewildered. Two, to have a lack of clarity or distinction. And number three, the state of being combined without order. So when your thoughts are combined and everything's in disorder, that is confusion. And number four, the fourth definition I want to give to you today is to mix and mingle things so as to make the elements indistinguishable. When everything in your life seems like it's all mixed and mingled up together and you cannot discern good from evil, you cannot discern right from wrong, you cannot discern what path you should take and what path you should not take. You are confused. In fact, the word confuse or confusion comes from the Latin word confusion. Confucius, not Confucius, Confucius, say hey? Confucius, C-O-N-F-U-S-U-S, meaning mixed together or ruined. And what I want to tell you today is that Satan wants you to live in confusion. His, he wants that. He desires that for your life. If he can get you in a place of confusion, then he's done his job. You know, Jesus said that the the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And if Satan can't kill you, if he can't destroy you, then he'll try to steal the purpose of God away from your life by getting you in a place of confusion. You know, confusion, it steals time away from us, doesn't it? You find yourself worrying about all these things, trying to make sense of life, going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, while all the while, God desires for you to live in absolute clarity. Did you know that? God wants you to live in clarity. He wants your life to be defined by clarity. See, we are made in the image of God and we are meant to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. And when you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus walked in absolute clarity. You never see Jesus sitting here like, Wait, what, what should I do? Should, should I go, should I go here or should I go here? The 5,000 come, you know, actually 12,000 women and children. You never see like Jesus holding the five loaves and two fish like, "Uh, I don't know what to do. I don't know what, no, no. Jesus always had absolute clarity. And in the same way, you are meant to live with clarity. God wants us to experience breakthrough in this area today. If you want that breakthrough, say amen. Amen. See, so many of us were walking in confusion, but God wants you to have clarity today. He burned it on my heart to preach this. And we're going to look at the cure for confusion. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to read from verses 9 to chapter 3, verse 2. Well, verse 3. So just look along. I'm going to read it. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined. What God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the spirit for the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. That we might understand the things freely given us by God. That sounds like clarity, doesn't it? And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one for who has understand understood the mind of the Lord. So as to instruct him, we'll just stop with this verse, but we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ that, You would think a person with the mind of Christ has clarity. Amen. And Paul starts off by saying, hey, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind could conceive what God has prepared for your life. I want to tell you today that God has prepared amazing things for your life. He's prepared things for your life beyond what you can see, beyond what you can comprehend, beyond what you can even understand. God has prepared amazing things for your life. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes that he's written eternity upon our hearts. That means that inside of you, God has put purpose that is greater than you could ever imagine. That's like, oh, that's good, Pastor Marcus. You know, well, I, I like that. I like that. But I'm right here right now. But then he says, God has revealed it to us by the spirit. That means that if you're experiencing confusion as to what God has for you, if you're com- experiencing confusion in terms of what you see or what you're called to do or the steps you should take, the Bible says that you shouldn't go read a book. The Bible says you shouldn't go take another class. You know, these people in Corinth, Corinth, I preached a whole year out of first Corinthians. Y'all remember that? I'll oh, you. So, wow. <laughs> I preached the whole year. Y'all remember that? Yeah. The long year. Well, bless you too. <laughs> I meant that. I literally bless you. Uh, I preached a whole year out of, the, out of the book of First Corinthians. And so I'll tell you about Corinth. Corinth was a, a mercantile city. It was a port city. There was trade that constantly went in and out, which means that it was a hub for information. Which means that there was constant information that was flowing in and out of Corinth. They had influences from the Greeks. They had influences from Rome. They had influences everywhere. They were It was a city that constantly had all this flow because people were coming in from other nations, bringing in other teachings. There was just so much going in, but it began to affect the church in Corinth so that it was influenced by the world more than it was influencing the world. And so Paul speaks to them and says, listen, you guys, if you want to really comprehend all that God has for you, you need to not seek another teaching. You need to not seek another book. You need to not seek another class. You need to seek the Holy Spirit. See, the answer and the cure for confusion in your life is the Holy Spirit. We see it here in this passage. He says, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined. You ever had things in your heart that it's just, everything seems so jumbled, but God has something even greater. He's prepared it for you. And it says he's revealed it through the spirit. The spirit knows everything. It knows even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. See, if you want to know the thoughts of God for your life, if you want to walk in absolute clarity, if you want to have the mind of Christ, you need to walk in and search for and seek for and be led by the Holy Spirit. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. See, the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us in the path in which we should go. Jesus called the Holy Spirit. He said he's the spirit of truth. He will lead you into all truth. The Bible says that the anointing talking about the power of the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. You need the Holy Spirit. Some of you are thinking, well, I know about the Holy Spirit already. But are you constantly being in connection, in relationship with the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, he's the third person of the Trinity. But in some denominational backgrounds, he's like the guy who's rarely referred to. He's like the silent party of the Trinity. We love you, God, the father. We love you, Jesus, Holy Spirit. He's a third person of the Trinity. When he's referred to in the Bible, he's referred to as a he, not an it. That means that the Holy Spirit is not a mist. He's not a cloud. He's not a force. This is not Star Wars. He's a person. He has feelings. The Bible says you can actually grieve him, that the Holy Spirit has feelings. You can worship Sing to, pray to the Holy Spirit because he is co-equal, co-eternal with God. In Genesis chapter 1, it says that the Spirit was hovering over the deep. That means it's not just God the Father, but God in three persons and the Holy Spirit. He's God. When Jesus did his public ministry, when he walked around, we see in Matthew chapter 3, he goes up, he gets baptized in the Jordan River. And when he comes out, it says that the spirit comes upon him like a dove. That doesn't mean a dove came upon Jesus. You know, some people read that and they think like a dove came through. (laughs) That's not what happened. No, it says the Holy Spirit's presence gently came upon Jesus. And then he heard the voice of the father. And then from that point forward, all the miracles, everything that Jesus did in his public ministry, he didn't do it just out of his own strength and power. He did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Miracles, signs and wonders. It comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 it's fourteen and 15 says that those who are led by the Spirit are called sons of God. Which means that the Holy Spirit is meant to lead you, guide you, teach you. He's your counselor, the comforter. That means that when you're going through a tough time and you don't know what to do and your heart is all mixed up, it's the Holy Spirit who comes and comforts. That's the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is the one who knows the very thoughts and the deep things of God the Father and communicates it to us. The Holy Spirit exists to help magnify the Lordship of Jesus in our lives. It's all through being led by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is the cure for confusion. But... For some reason, we still find ourselves in confusion. The Bible says that we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. But somehow we still find ourselves in confusion. How is that? It's because we find ourselves living as one of three people. One of three people. And as I go through this, I want you to ask yourself, who am I out of these three? Three people. The first, I want you to look at the passage First Corinthians chapter two. It says that. Verse 12, I'll read from verse 12 on to verse 14. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us from God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Fourteen, the natural person does not accept the spirit of God for they are the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The first person I want to talk to you about today is the natural man. Everyone say natural man. Natural man. The word here where it says natural person or natural man in the Greek is the word sukikos. Sukikos. P-S-U-C-H-I-K-O-S in the Greek. And it's where we get the word psychology. It comes from a root Greek word that means the soul. And so when Paul is talking about the natural person, another word that you could use for it is the soulish person. And our understanding of the soul is the mind, the will and the emotions. And so the natural person is someone who all he seeks after is the needs of his mind, his will, and his emotions. He's a person who's constantly seeking after the needs of his mind. That means that he continually trumps up his intellect. So whenever he feels confused, whenever he needs direction, his answer is I need to take more classes. I need to read more books. I need to trump up my intellect because if I can get smarter or if I can get more teaching, then that will help me in the way that I should go. You know, in Korea, Korea loves like they, they really trump the mind as, as being the key to success. If you can just go to school from 8 a.m. to 12 a.m., you will be a genius. You will be a success in life, right? That's why so many kids are killing themselves because they're studying 24-7. You know, you meet people who that they trump up their intellect. All they want to talk about is how they, those people that always have to be right. You ever have friends like that? Maybe not because you don't want to be friends with a person like that, but they always have to be right. They're always argumentative. Everything's about their intellect. That's the natural soulish man putting up the needs of his mind. Not only that, but the needs of his will. So this is the person that also everything's all about decisions. If you're confused or you just have problems in life, you just need to make better decisions. You just need to make good choices. You just need to try harder. Every religion on earth, except for Christianity, is all about try harder. Try harder, try harder, try harder, and then you will achieve salvation. Christianity is the only religion where it's not about trying harder, but it's about accepting the one who's already done it for you. But the natural person, he's seeking out to the needs of his mind. He needs to understand everything, the needs of his will. It's all about his works and action. And then it's also his emotions. So they're emotion driven. They're always, it's always about how they feel. You see this nowadays, even with new age movement, it's all about making yourself feel good. Think positive thoughts. Kumbaya. It's all about their emotions. They're emotionally driven, emotionally led. And this kind of person does not understand the things of the spirit of God. In fact, they reject the things of the spirit and they see it as foolish. Foolish. When he's talking about the natural man, he's talking about the person. When they hear the gospel, they think it's the most ridiculous thing. When they hear that Jesus Christ has died for their sins, that Jesus Christ is enough, that through his Holy Spirit, he can provide for all your needs. They say, man, that's foolish. That doesn't make any sense. It's not practical. It's not pragmatic. Romans 8, 7 says the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to the things of God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Ephesians 4, 17 to 20 says, now, I want, you to, I want you to turn there real quick. Turn to Ephesians 4, 17 to 20. Today, I'm going to have you going through your Bible. Ephesians 4, 17 to 20. In every passage of scripture that we don't look at, I want you to look through on your own time. Ephesians 14, 17 to 20, it says, Now I say this and testify in testify the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, and the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated or cut off from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And I love what he says in verse 20. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. The natural man, he rejects the gospel. He rejects living a life led by the Holy Spirit. And in fact, his mind, his heart is darkened. And life for him, life for the natural man is all about sensuality. It's all about going out and meeting their own needs, feeling good. You know, before I got saved, I was darkened in my understanding. I was a natural man. Before you encounter Christ, that's who we are. And so, you know what I thought would make me happy? Going out, getting drunk, being promiscuous, money, power, all those things. Because you think that those things will, ulti- will satisfy. That's the natural man. And this is like, you know, the natural man has clarity in deception. So you ever talk to a natural man, you talk to them about Jesus, you talk, they say, man, that's good for you. Or they reject it outright. Oh, man, I'm glad you're doing that. I remember when I went back to North Carolina for a friend's wedding. And none of my friends that I, at this wedding were Christian. And they all saw me and none, and they all heard that I was a pastor. And they were like, man, that's so good what you're doing. Like, oh, what? Really? Huh? And they're like, yeah, it's good what you're doing, helping people. And I was like, hold on, wait. I, I don't work at an NGO. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's not what I do. Like, I'm not the one helping people. I'm a shepherd. I lead people. Jesus is the one who takes people. He doesn't, like we like to say, Christ doesn't make bad people good. He makes dead people alive. I can't do that. But to them, it was philanthropic. It was, oh, man, you're, you're being so good. It's good you're helping people. You know, they say that's what people will say to the Christian. Oh, it's good what you're doing. At least you're helping yourself. Because in their understanding, all you're doing is therapy. Or they reject it outright. This is important to understand because First Corinthians chapter 2 essentially says that only by the Spirit of God can you understand the things of the Spirit. And therefore, we need the Spirit of God to change us from the inside out if we are to understand and have clarity as to what God has prepared for us. The second person is the spiritual Christian. Everyone say the spiritual Christian. Turn back to first Corinthians chapter two. So on one, on one end, you've got the natural person. This is the atheist, the new age person. This is the Buddhist. This is the Muslim. Everything's works oriented. Everything's all about your mind, will, and emotions. But then on the opposite end, we have the spiritual Christian. This is who God wants you to be. This is how God desires for you to live. Let's see what it says. It says the spiritual person, verse 15, judges all things. That word judges means discerns. The spiritual person discerns all things, and he himself is judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I want to tell you this word spiritual is not like the way that, the word has been hijacked in our day when you say, oh, I'm a spiritual person. That just that just means like that can mean anything actually nowadays. You know, when we go to evangelism in Taiwan, that's usually how we open up conversation to introduce the gospel. Hey, you you a spiritual person? I, I rarely meet someone who's like, no. <laughs> But that's not what Paul's talking about. He's not saying, are you open to spiritual things? He's talking about, are you a person who has been regenerated from the inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit? And he says, the spiritual person discerns all things. Imagine that in your life. Imagine you being able to discern all things. Man, that would make your meetings and community group that much faster. That would make your meeting with your pastor that much faster. Pastor Marcus, you know what? God's already been speaking to me. I'm discerning all things. I'll be like, cool, go ahead. Bye. (laughs) It says the spiritual person discerns all things. That means, and they have the mind of Christ. Now, so many people are like, I have the mind of Christ. I have the mind of Christ. You know, in your natural mind, you do not have the mind of Christ. But when you are in sync with the Holy Spirit, that's when you have the mind of Christ. And so the spiritual person walks in absolute clarity. They're filled by, led by the Holy Spirit, and they're filled with discernment. They get to a place of maturity where they walk in wisdom, and they're able to discern things. They have clarity about the steps they should take. They have clarity about their future. They have clarity about what God is calling them to do. Why do they have the mind of Christ? Because of the Spirit. For who knows a person's thoughts except for the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Verse 13. And we impart this in word not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. That word interpret, interpreting. In, in the original language. It's where we get the word synchronized. And so what Paul is saying here is that the spiritual man is synchronized with the things of the spirit. The spiritual man has absolute clarity because he hears God's voice. He reads God's word and the Holy Spirit is constantly leading him, constantly opening up his eyes and constantly leading him in the way in which he should go. Don't you want a life like that? When you read the Bible, the Bible starts to come alive. You know, sometimes the Bible can start to become just another book without the spirit. But after a while, the, the Holy Spirit begins to open up areas that you've never seen before. You know, recently I've been, you know, I love to walk the streets. Like I love to walk the streets of Itaewon. Like sometimes when I clear my mind, I just go out for a walk. And I'll just walk through all the different areas and stuff. But after a while, walk, I'm a phlegmatic by nature, which means my temperament is I'm a person who likes to do the same thing over and over and over and over. So, you know, there was one time I I I think I told you guys this story. There's this Japanese curry place called Abiko. And it is like the bomb, all right? If you ever want to go there, just hit me up. We'll go. We'll get some Japanese curry. It's the bomb. The first time I had it, it was like a revelation. Like my, my eyes opened, my ears opened, my heart. Like I was like, oh, hmm, there's an anointing over this. And, and I went to Abiko, I kid you not. Whew, I don't know why I'm admitting this after a sermon series about wisdom with the body. This isn't recent, okay? It's a couple years ago. But I literally went to Ibico at least three to four times a week in a month. Like after a while, they knew me and they knew what I was going to order. And so like, I just, I just like, you know, I just like the same old same. I can do it over and over and over and over. And sometimes the Bible can seem that way. But recently I discovered this app called Foursquare. You ever heard of Foursquare? If you don't have Foursquare, download Foursquare. Don't download it right now. Download it after service. But Foursquare, you get on Foursquare and it tells you about all, like, the best places to eat in your area. And I'm up in Hopjong, which is where I live, and before I was like, you know, after a while, you're walking through the same streets. and You're like, man, there's nothing to eat here. There's, you're walking by, like, all these eater places you can eat, and you're like, there's nothing to eat in Hopjong. Where, what's wrong with this place? I'll just go to McDonald's. Don't judge me. <laughs> but once I discover Foursquare, all of a sudden, like, I'm discovering all these places that are like gyms in Hopjong. I didn't know this coffee shop was here. It turned out I walked by every day for the past week. I didn't know this other Japanese curry place was here. You know, the Holy Spirit is like Foursquare. <laughs> when you read your Bible over and over and it starts to get very routine. When you invite the Holy Spirit to come in, he starts to open up to you gems that you never saw before. See, that's how the spiritual person lives. When life starts to get monotonous and same old, same and same old, same, it's usually because you've not started to ask the Holy Spirit, hey, begin to open up my eyes to the gems that are actually in my life at this very moment. What are you actually saying to me right now, Holy Spirit? What are you actually calling me to do right now, Holy Spirit? Begins to open up our eyes. See, God always intended for your mind, your heart and will to be in sync with the Holy Spirit. For you to learn how to walk in sync with him, to flow with him and to know the deep things of God for your life. And that is a powerful place to be. And that's what God desires for every single believer. But the funny thing is, is that. Many of us, we don't live as the natural man and we don't live as the spiritual Christian. We live someplace in the middle. Look at verse, look at chapter three, verse one. Paul says his powerful, he says these powerful words in chapter, in verse 16 of chapter two. For who has understood the mind of the Lord is to instruct them, but we have the mind of Christ. Talking about God revealing to you things beyond your wildest imagination, giving you crazy discernment, You have the mind of Christ, verse 3. But I, brothers, his tone changed. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people in the flesh, as infants in Christ. I could imagine the church of Corinth reading this letter out loud, and they're like, oh man, we have the mind of Christ. And then the guy's like, but I. Brothers, and everyone's like, Oh snap, where is he going? Could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. People who are living in according to their sin nature. And then the next word he uses is as infants in Christ. The last person isn't the natural soulish person, he's not the spiritual person, but this is the fleshly or worldly Christian. Paul says, I want to show you the deep things. I want to show you what God has for you. I want to show you and reveal those things. I want to pray for the Holy Spirit to do that. But I can't address you that way because you're living as a person of the flesh, as an infant in Christ. And then verse 2, as if they don't understand it, he has to keep saying it. He has to keep going. Verse 2, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still Of the flesh. The last person is not the natural man. He's not the spiritual Christian, but the fleshly or worldly Christian. This is the person who should be walking by the Holy Spirit, should be discerning all things, should be walking in the mind of Christ. But instead. They don't. They know what they should do. They know how they should live. They know what God's calling them to do. But instead of following those things, instead of going after the power of the Holy Spirit and seeking Him, instead they seek other things. And Paul says, listen, I can't even show you these, this meat. I can't give you this clarity about your future that God wants to give you. Instead, I got to give you milk. I want to give you meat, but instead I got to give you milk. You know why you got to give an infant Milk instead of meat. It's because of their digestive system and the fact that they don't have teeth. They're not able to chew it. They're not able to digest it. You give a baby solid food, it will mess them up. And, you know, the funny thing is, is after a while, you know, when you get older. You know, many believers are like that, where God wants to reveal to you what his plans for your life. He wants to give you clarity. He wants to break through. But because you're living as a person of the flesh, he's like, you know what? I can't give that to you yet. If I give you that, if I give you clarity in regards to your destiny, if I open up those doors, it will jack you up. But, you know, the funny thing is, is that for some of us, we get older and you start eating meat. But, you know. You ever had stomach issues if you, you're eating solid foods, but you start ingesting and eating the wrong food. You're eating IBCO three, four times a week. You're eating McDonald's all the time. You're taking in all this junk. And then after a while, you'll jack up your digestive system. And what does the doctor put you on when you mess up your insides? Liquids. Because many of us, we get to this place of maturity where we are digesting the mature things. God's opening up our eyes. He's showing us these things. But then we start walking as people of the flesh. And God says, listen, you're you're messing up your insides. You're allowing what's going on on the inside of you to deteriorate to a point where I can't even show you those things anymore. I've got to take you back to a place where I got to give you milk. You understand what I'm saying? That's because he's like if I keep, if I show you those things, it won't work. And so the worldly Christian, constantly living in confusion, doesn't feel clarity about their future. Doesn't feel clarity about what God's calling them to. There's three ways that we can walk as fleshly Christians, and this is where I want to spend the rest of the message, is going through this, and then of course resolving it, because I don't want to leave you here. Three ways we walk as fleshly Christians. The first is by gratifying the desires of the flesh. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. You know, when Paul says, I can't address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants, he's saying that, listen, you're walking in the flesh when you're supposed to be walking in the spirit. And therefore, on the inside of you, you have not matured to a place where I can give you what God has for you. But for some of us, we matured. But because of different things that we allow in, our insides and our hearts and our minds start to deteriorate to a point where God can't entrust us with the meat anymore. He's got to give us the milk. Galatians five sixteen to 26. This is Paul once again writing. He says, but I say walk by the spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Does that sound like confusion? You remember the definition I said earlier about confusion? One of the definitions is to mix and mingle things together in which they're indistinguishable disorder. He says, you got the desires of the flesh and then you got the desires of the spirit and these things are warring inside of you and therefore you don't do what you want to do and you feel confused. But if you're led by the spirit, verse 18, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, that's the love of money. You can put that in there. Sorcery. If you look at the word sorcery, it can also include drug usage, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. I don't sleep around. I'm not impure, but, man, I get angry all the time. Or jealous. Rivalries. You know what rivalries mean? Rivalries mean that you think that your success has to come at someone else's detriment. So you're constantly in competition with other people. Dissension. Division, causing division in the body of Christ, causing division in your family, causing division amongst friends. Envy, in Korea, envy is such a huge stronghold. People walking down the street, constantly comparing themselves to one another. Drunkenness, drunkenness. Even Christians going out and getting drunk. Oh, I'm not drunk. I promise I'm not. Listen, if you have to say that you are not drunk, you have drunk too much. (laughs) Drunkenness. Orgies and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit, the fruit, what comes from the inside out. Is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. And then verse 26, it's almost as if Paul wants to make sure that we get these things that he's already said before. Let us not become conceited, meaning self-centered. Provoking one another, causing division, envying one another. Confusion comes when we mix the desires of the flesh with the desires of the spirit. When God speaks one thing to our heart, but we have other things in our mind that we want to pursue after. When God speaks one thing to our heart, but our mind, but we are we are determined to go after our, the things of our mind, will, and emotions. When God's telling you, you know what? You need to repent for that. You know what? You need to pursue that. You need to take that step or you need to stop doing that. And instead we're saying, God, that's too hard. I don't want to do that. God, that won't feel good. And so there's this war going on on the inside and the word that describes that war could be confusion. You don't know what to do. What should I do? What should I do? What? That the fleshly worldly Christian is at the worst possible place. Because they want both the world and the things of the spirit. I want to live for you, Jesus, but I also want these. I want the things beyond my own imagination, but I also want this. And then those two things get mixed and mingled on the inside in its confusion. The second way. Is by grieving the spirit. Gratifying the desires of the flesh. And then number two. Grieving the spirit. Ephesians 4.30-31. It says do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I told you the Holy Spirit has emotions. So if you grieve him. Then it's hard to hear him. If you offend him. Then it's going to be hard to be led by him. And then the next thing he says. Well how do I grieve him? Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Let all bitterness. I promise you, if you're struggling with bitterness, it's going to be really hard for you to hear from God. If you're struggling with bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart, it will be almost impossible for you to hear from God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is grieved. He wants to lead you into all truth, but he can't lead you into truth because you've got this bitterness in your heart. Anger. Clamor. I was like, what is clamor? (laughs) Sometimes I read the Bible. I'm like, I don't even know what that word means. I looked it up. The word clamor means to cry out from sorrow or pain. It's pretty much loud complaining. (laughs) You complain a lot. If you complain a lot, it'll be hard to hear from the spirit and slander. And as I was doing my study, God convinced me as I study and as I prepare, I looked up the word slander and it's actually the word blasphemy. And I was like, well, God, I don't, I don't blaspheme you. I don't use your, your, your name in vain. I don't do that. We good. And he's like, well, Marcus, When Paul's using this word, he's not using it in reference to the individual and God. He's using it in reference to the individual, to the Christian and the other Christian. When you speak about someone else who is made in the image of God and has has God living inside of them, when you speak about them in a negative way, God sees that as blasphemy. The actual word is blasphemy. Blasphemy. See, the, the writers in the ESV, they translate it to slander. Because when we hear slander, it's like, I don't do slander. No, I don't do that. But how do you talk about people? How do you talk about other believers? Do you criticize them? you speak down about them? And do you do it when not a lot of people hear? That grieves the spirit. And it makes it hard to hear from him. Because if he's the one who reveals to us what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived... Then, if he's grieved, it's going to be hard to know. And then the last one, the third, is quenching the spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 21, it says, do not quench the spirit. And the word quench here means to extinguish as with a light or fire. Extinguish as a light or fire. And the way that we quench the spirit oftentimes is through fear. It's through fear. God wants to take you beyond your wildest imagination. But if you start setting up pickets, if you start setting up walls, how does that happen? And then all of a sudden in that place uh, with boundaries that we've set up for ourselves, we start to feel confused. How do, how do we discern if we're, we're living in confusion? How do we discern if we haven't been seeking and being led by? I mean, I gave you these three things, but to keep it really simple and practical. How's your time in the word? How's your time when you open up the Bible? And how's your time in prayer? Do you spend much time in the word of God? The Holy Spirit inspired the word of God. All scriptures, God breathes. Do you spend much time in the word? And when you do, how how are those times? I want you to hear this quote by R.T. Kendall. He said, when we grieve the Holy Spirit through bitterness or quench him through fear, the inevitable result is an inability to focus on his word. I'm going to read that again. When we grieve the Holy Spirit through bitterness or quench him through fear, the inevitable result is an inability to focus on his word. You're you're up in there and you're you're looking for scriptures. You're trying to find something, but it just seems like nothing's happening. I feel so confused. I feel so like, what's going on, God? I, I pray, but every time I close my eyes to pray, I start thinking about what I want to eat. Every time I close my eyes to pray, I start thinking about how much I I dislike that situation or how much I dislike that person. God, I actually don't even close my eyes to pray. You know, a study was done that said the average church leader spends four minutes a day in prayer. Four minutes. It took you longer to walk up the steps to come to (laughs) Itawan, right? Four minutes. When God actually desires to take your times of prayer and your times in the word and make those explosive times where he reveals to you his plans and purposes for your life. You know, when I open up the Bible and the Holy Spirit is present, I get so much clarity for my life. When I go into place of prayer and the Holy Spirit is there with me, it's like it almost becomes a little too easy. You almost start to think, God, you're messing with me because clarity comes so quickly in that place, doesn't it? Think about those times where you open up your Bible and it seemed like the pages just jumped up at you. That wasn't just because, you know, the Bible has some 3D effect. It doesn't. What it was, it was the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit being your four square. It was being your guide. It was the one illuminating those things for you. Even right now, as you hear the Word of God going out, do you hear what I'm saying? Are you listening? Is the Holy Spirit right now quickening things in your heart or do these sound like dead words? Ask yourself that because that is not about the quality of the Word of God being preached. The Word is living and active. It's more the quality of your heart. And so you got to ask yourself those hard questions. Because if not, you'll make decisions in the place of confusion. Because for so many of us when we're confused... And we feel like everything's mixed together and we lack direction and we hate being in that place because confusion sucks. Right? We don't like being in that place. We don't like that feeling of disconnection, not knowing what we're supposed to do, not knowing how we're supposed to live. But that's the moment usually where we try to make decisions for our lives. But if you make a decision in the place of confusion, it will not work out well. Look at Abraham. Abraham and Sarah were confused as to how God is going to make this happen. They're looking at each other like this is not going to work. And so they decide to make a decision in the place of confusion and it birthed in Ishmael. But see, God blessed Ishmael, but Ishmael was not the fulfillment of promise, which means you can make a decision in the place of confusion that may work out well for your natural life, but it will not fulfill you. He blessed Ishmael. Ishmael filled the earth. But he was not the fulfillment of promise. The question is, do you just want a good life right now or do you want fulfillment? If so, you got to deal with the issues of the heart. Sometimes we're so desperate to get out of that place of confusion because we feel like we're being brought to ruin we feel like everything in our lives is coming crashing down we feel like everything is not right and so that's when we want to take the step but that is the worst time to move your first step should be to ask am i right with you god David says it, Psalm 139, verse 23 to 24. Search me, O Lord. He's inviting the Holy Spirit. Search me, O Lord. Know my heart. Right? What is the soul? What's your mind, will, and emotion? Search me. Know my heart know my emotions god this is what i'm dealing with this is what i'm feeling like god expose the matters of my heart am i living in bitterness am i am i living in anger what's going on in the issues of my heart search me o oh lord know my heart test me know my anxious thoughts know my thoughts my mind god pour out your spirit and bring to light what's really going on with my thought life My thoughts are on lust. My thoughts are on greed. My thoughts are on malice. Lord, reveal my thoughts. God, I'm trying to be God and plan out my life for myself. God, reveal my thoughts, my anxious thoughts. Search me, O Lord. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way within me. My will. See if I'm headed in the wrong direction. See if I'm grieving you, Holy Spirit. See if I am headed in the wrong direction, making decisions that are grieving you. See. He makes sure to pray that prayer before he ever said, lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in the way eternal. The only person who can lead you in the way eternal is not your pastor. It is Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit. But if you're living like a, a fleshly Christian. Who's living more like a natural man when on the inside they're, they're meant to live differently. All that will be left is confusion. Confusion. You know, in the Bible, we see we see that Jesus, we see that Jesus himself had moments where he was tried in terms of his mind, his heart, and his will. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's the son of God. He's God himself, but he's taken on. Our flesh. He's taken on our form. And he's, he's there in the garden and he knows what lies before him. And the Bible actually says that he was filled with anguish. That his heart was filled with grief. It says that his thoughts were filled with anxiety to a degree. He's sweating and his sweat becomes drips of blood. And it's in that moment that he prays. And I believe it was in that moment that the Holy Spirit began to shift him and began to move in that garden. His soul was bitter. His soul was filled with so much anguish. He says that his soul was filled with anguish. Then he says, Father... He even talks about his will. Father, if it be your will, take this cup. I'd rather not do this. But he says, if it be your will. Not my will, but your will be done. And then even as he's on the cross. And he's taking on our offense. The Holy Spirit leads him up on the cross to say what? Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. His mind was filled with anguish to the point in which his sweat became drips of blood. His heart was filled with tons of grief. And he wanted the father to take the cup away from him. You know, if it be your will, I don't have to go. But in that moment, something shifted. His his thoughts shifted. And his will shifted. His emotions shifted. And when he was on the cross, he forgave. He gave up his flesh that we would not live in the flesh. But that we could crucify our flesh with his passions and desires and walk by the spirit. See what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, what no mind has conceived, nor the heart of man imagined. God is prepared for those that love him. And he reveals it to us only by the spirit. I want us to pray together right now.